Have you ever uh, been part of those uh, little activities? Sometimes you're in a party, sometimes the kids do them when they go to a new class at school, sometimes it's a team building exercise where you're asked to take in a baby photo of you when you were little and then they get all put up around the, the, the room and then there's a list of sort of numbers, each one's numbers and then you've got to look at all the people in the room, hopefully remembering their names and sort of write down which baby photo goes with which person. Anybody played that? Oh, see? Oh. Where have you been all your life? Okay, for those of you who haven't, uh, let me ask the ones who have. Is it an easy game to play? Okay, not really, is it? In fact, I, I feel almost embarrassed confessing to this, but we played a version of that yesterday in our, uh, in our house, because um, uh, six daughters, uh, we took a photo from the same sort of angle on the cot uh, of each one of them when they were a day old, and we finally got round to mounting all six pictures and Jane, who knows all the answers obviously, she sort of mixed them all up and then put, them, put the two things with the six photos in there and gave each one of us a piece of paper and a pen. So there's me, there's Bethany, Becky, Amy, even Emily and little, baby, and little Lucy, obviously Poppy. She doesn't get it yet, she's only three months. But and it was like, who could get as many of them right? Sorry? How old is she? Close enough. I don't think, I think only two people got them all right as to which babies were which children. Uh, I wasn't one of them. Uh, so, that's fine. Do you know what? I'm really happy about that. I'm incredibly thrilled with that. Because it means that something that's supposed to be happening is happening. Because if my kids still look like they did when they were a day old, I'd be a little bit worried. Wouldn't you? The whole point is a kid is supposed to grow. They're supposed to look different. Me and my wife were having a really sort of ungracious conversation yesterday when we were out about, and we were commenting about how, for some reason, when youngsters go through adolescence, they just look weird. No offence, kids. But they grow out of it, and they get to about 18 and 19 and start to look like human beings again. And they don't just... No offence, Bethany. I'm going to get, get out all day now. They start to look normal because you're not supposed to stay like that. You're supposed to grow. In fact, when babies don't grow, we have a medical phrase for it. It's called failure to thrive. You heard that before? And if you are the parent of a youngster who is like that, if you are, if you are the leader in the home, then all your energy will be bent towards helping them out of that situation of failure to thrive. You see? So you will sacrifice, you will adjust your time, you will change their food, you will change your routine, you'll do anything to get you a little youngster to thrive and grow and to grow into what they're supposed to be. That's just the way it's supposed to be. And it's always really sad when somebody who should have grown up hasn't. And sometimes people can grow older but not grow up. And so I had this really strange situation. It was about eight, 12, 18 months ago. It was like in a two-day a three-day period, uh, by the end of it, I was left thinking, what just happened there? It was a Saturday, it was one of our kids' parties. And you know when you have kids' parties, you have the kids' friends who are sort of close to the family, and fr- friend, you know, friends from school, and then friends who are, you know, you haven't seen for quite a while, and not as many people know. So uh, I made like a little announcement when it came to the time, and everybody sits down for the bit of food that they're about to eat, and you know, all the kids' party food set out, and say, right, make sure you sit by people, and if you, you see somebody who doesn't know anybody, make space at their table, they've come a long way, make them welcome, so I made the announcement from the front, and then you sort of, you know that won't cut it with 
four, five, six-year-olds. So you go along and say, well, why don't you sit there? And you don't, you sit there, and then you have a quiet word with them and say, oh, I really need a little bit of including. And so you do that. But you know, sooner or later, it was going to kick off. And that did with one kid. Sooner or later, the, the, the fists start to clench. And it's like, I want to sit by my friends! I'm like, oh, dear, this is terrible. But that's the kids' party. Anybody ever had that one when you kids' party? Now, the funny thing was, was what happened two days later. Because I thought I had deja vu. Because two days later, we had a, a welcome club meal again, which we do week in and week out. Some of you were there and remember it. And we had people who were coming for a long way. So I made an announcement and said, listen, today, please will you just make a little bit of space and sit by somebody a little bit different. So I made the announcement from the front. And then I sort of went up and spoke to people individually and said, would you mind sitting by this person? And then I made suggestions about where to sit. And then it was like deja vu because I saw with more than one person the fists beginning to clench again. And then finally somebody said it, maybe irate, and went, I just want to sit by my friends. And I have to confess, and I have to apologise later, I didn't respond very well to that. I got a bit angry. And then I went away and I reflected on it, and I thought, well, actually, why was I was angry? Why wasn't I angry with the six-year-olds who did that, but I was angry with seniors who did that? I think it's because we all know we're supposed to grow up. And when you don't grow into everything you're supposed to be, when that happens, you just feel, oh, something's been lost. It's not. We're supposed to grow and thrive. And we said that we're starting, I wonder if you could hit the button for us, please, Kaylee. We're starting a series called Leading God's People, Who to Follow and How to Lead. And can I tell you that the central theme of what leadership in the Bible is, is about helping other people grow. That's what leads to us. In fact, the whole of this little section here that we've had read from Ephesians, it's the Apostle Paul who knew an awful lot of stuff and he was well on in, in years in the faith and he'd been serving Jesus faithfully for ages. And you'd have looked at him and thought, he's mature. But in this section, he's writing to a church, many of whom are newish believers, if you like, they're sort of spiritual babies, in fact he uses the word infants here, and he's saying, look, God has an ambition for you to grow. The Lord loves you where you are, but he wants you to grow and move on and mature in things. But he actually doesn't just say you, he says he includes so that we, all together, might grow up. He includes himself in that. He says, do you know what, I've got a lot of maturing to do. That's quite amazing, really, because, you know, I stand here, you know, uh, I'm one of the leaders here, and I stand here, and, you know, I speak from the front, uh, but I'm actually only speaking from what Paul wrote, because he's the dude who wrote the Bible. You'd have thought he would be way up there. If he's way up there and saying, I've got a lot of growing to do, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? We've got a lot of growing to do. So the big command here is very simple. He says, right, okay, God wants you lot to... Grow up. That's what he wants you to do? Grow up. Not like I think, he's just saying, that's the direction of travel. That's my ambition for you. I want something in your life so that you are more stable, more secure, more mature. I want you to grow up into being like me. So much so that people gain strength from your life. Ever felt like sometimes it's like, oh, I just need somebody to bring some strength into mine. I want somebody to help me grow, lead me, equip me. And sometimes we're worn out with the circumstances we face. 
That's okay to say that. But actually, he wants you to be that person to do that for other people. So he sets us on our feet, he equips us and he straightens us. And we're going to see three things here this morning. Very simple, very straightforward. We're going to see the need for growth, the shape of growth, and the gift for growth. All under this. And then at the end, I'm asking some questions. I'm asking two questions. Question number one is, what does this bit of the Bible tell us about the things we want from any leader we're going to appoint? If we get a new pastor, what does it tell us about what we want from our new pastor? And second of all, what does it tell us about how we should respond to our new pastor? Do you see the difference? So those are two questions. We'll unpack this stuff now, go through it, then I'll come back and I'll ask you, which means that some of you might actually have to shout out an answer other than shut up. Okay, so, yeah, got the idea? Brilliant, right, let's go for it. Uh, right, hold on, show me a piece of paper. Good. The need for growth, right, I love this, right at the start. As a prisoner of the Lord, this is chapter 4, verse 1, make sure you've got it and you can see it, you need to be checking here on page 826. Make sure you've got it there. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have earned. One person said no. Oh, brilliant. That's not what he's got. Please, if you don't know much about the Christian faith, if you want one take-home thing for today, just for today, this is what you need to know. That God breaks into a person's life on the basis of his kindness and grace, not because you've earned it. Paul's saying, listen, you lot. You lot have not just started coming to a meeting on a Sunday morning. God broke into your life. He told you about Jesus, that he is the Lord and the King. And that you have failed the Lord and King, and you owe a debt you cannot pay, but Jesus came to live the life you could not live. Die the debt you don't want to die to pay for your wrongs so that you can be freely accepted and connected to God again. That is not something you earn. You are not somebody who comes to church who is a nice person. You have received something that has made you a new person. Spiritually, you are awakened. And Paul looks at them and says, listen, I urge you to live, actually that's to walk, really. uh, to live life. It's actually, in the original, it's closer to, to walk. So it's something that you do as you go through all of life, as you travel along the way, as you get up, as you put your clothes on, as you do the washing up, as you're out and about, as you deal with difficulties, calamities, frustrations. All of it, as you walk along the way, what you want to do is live a life that is worthy of the fact that God has broken into your life and given you something you cannot get on your own. Because when he breaks into life, breaks into your life and calls you, you may be 55, 60, I baptised somebody who was 75 once, but you become suddenly a spiritual infant. Oh, you're alive? Just like me, you know, my little poppy, she's out of five months. Five months old, my little daughter. She's alive. She has life within her. Life is in her. But I tell you, she's messy. She's mucky. She screams. She yells. She messes her nappy. She's alive. But she's a little spiritual baby. Oh, she's a little baby. Can I tell you that when you trust in Jesus... You may have been well looked up to. You may have a powerful job or be really effective as parents in the home. You may have loads of money in the bank. You may have none of those things. You are a spiritual infant. In fact, it uses the word little infant there. 
So immediately that tells us that in the church there's going to be an awful lot of people who will not be cocky. They will be, can you see there in the next bit, be completely humble and gentle. If you walk into a church building, you gather with people who are believers, and they're cocky and they're up themselves, it's probably because they're not believers. Or at least they've disconnected this reality from their life. Because when God broke in, it wasn't because you earned it, or you got feathers on your back, or you, you know, painted on your face, I am deserving of it. It's, you received it when you realised you didn't earn it, and you weren't worthy. And so... We should be humble. In fact, we get a few examples here, and I love the reality of this, because Paul is writing to a church that basically are not doing these things. So if you're one of these people who is shocked and surprised that you've got an awful lot of spiritually immature people in the church, that you find it difficult to get on with people, that people let you down. I know there's this nuts idea, isn't there, that it's church is for good people. No, church is for messed up people who know they need to be rebuilt by God and his mercy and grace. So we shouldn't be surprised if there's like spiritual mess all over the place. And I look over this side and there's people who are squabbling and struggling to work out their differences. I look over this side and there's people who are a bit cocky and arrogant. You look up here and you see somebody who's got all manner of issues and needs counselling. You look at, at, at... Why are we shocked and surprised? We shouldn't be. Why? We need... To grow. We are spiritual infants. There is mess everywhere. Are they alive here in Ephesus? Yes! Are they living and responding to all of God's love and grace and the truth of who he is and what, they, what he's done in their lives? Yes? No. I suppose we have that phrase, don't we? That the Lord loves you just as you are, but loves you too much to leave you as you are. So if your idea today was merely to come and sit in a meeting, please, can I just release you from the boringness of that and tell you the Lord wants to take you on a journey. He wants to grow you so all of his grace captures the sense of you, reshapes you, and so that people look at a spiritual picture of you when you first come to faith, and then three years, five years, ten years, fifteen years later, there's a progression. Can I ask you that? If I was to sit down with you after this, and maybe I should do, if I was to sit down with you after today and say, listen, why don't we talk about how you've grown over the last six months? I'm not talking about because you've eaten too much hard and gas. How have you grown? How have you, when difficult times come, have you responded more in prayer? When situations weren't quite going the way you wanted them to do, did you have sort of like an anchoredness and a firmness because you knew God was with you? When people wronged you, rather than naturally snapping back at them and that being your natural response, you're actually thinking, no, no, I'll slow down, take a moment, calm down, remember that when I was fighting against God, he came and showed grace to me. Therefore, with the strength he provides, I'll try and do that for somebody else. Are you growing? We want a pastor because we recognise that we all should be growing more. We want somebody to help us grow in our faith. The need for growth. Right, the shape of growth. Okay, this is the good bit. The shape of growth. Now, as we go through this, I, I'm, I'm going to read bits, I'll read a section of it here just to show the point. But as you sweep through these verses, you sort of find the Apostle Paul, when he's talking to this church, he says, right, he almost does it positively and negatively. He says, this is what growth does look like, and this is what growth doesn't look like. Okay? This is what I want you to say, actually, this is the direction of travel I want to be in. 
this is the way that I want to turn away from and when I see it in my life or in the life of others I need to take action and move away from it okay simple okay so the positive way I suppose the way this definitely goes is well we'll look at the verses here okay uh, verse 15 uh, we'll start with verse 14 you can see the negative in verse 14 the positive in verse 15 then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, so here's the positive, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up, what stature, more hair? No. Grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There is a grow and a push towards unity. And this is the bit, I mean, Scousers ought to better get this quicker than anybody else because nobody else, best I know in the UK, uses the phrase use. We say it like, you, you. But actually, in Liverpool, we say use, don't we, which means all of you. Yeah? All of these, if you go back to the original Greek, it's not you singular, it's yous. Right, yous church, grow up together into a body. Grow in unity. In fact, you can see it back in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's all one. Yeah. So here's the picture. God, when he calls you to be one of his people, and when you respond in repentance and faith, he has brought you spiritually alive and you are a spiritual infant in his family. You are in his family, but here we're being told that what you have to do is grow into it. Okay? You don't make the family, so it's a, it's, it's a little bit here like, um, you know, you don't make your hand, you maintain it. You know, it's, it's something that's done for you. You make sure it doesn't get chopped fingers off or nasty rashes. You don't go dipping it in vats of acid or stuff like that. It's been given to you. It's a reality in your life, but you've got to maintain and keep it. Same when you get born into God's family. He's saying, look, I have one family who are, belong to me totally, but now I want you to learn to live in it. So little Poppy, who's five months. Little Poppy, who's five months. She is in my family. Or is she? She's going to grow up into what it means to be a Casey and pray for her. You get that idea? But why is this? Grow up into this united family that stands under God. Why is that? Can I tell you it's because of who God is? You know, you've often heard the word Trinity. You know, we talk about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The reality is that at the heart of this universe... There is a triune God. Three persons, one being. And those three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, are in perfect unity. Perfect love shown one to another. Perfect ambition, one for another. Perfect service and sacrifice, one for another. They never fall out. They always move in the same direction together. And it's always motivated by mutual love. Triune God, one being. And guess what? For the fun of it, the triune God said, right, I'm going to take all them scrappy individuals and I'm going to bring them together, save by my grace, and make them like me so they move together as one. Oh dear, if you've ever run a crash, 
and you try to get the crash to move as one. <laughs> That's why so, fellas so few fellas volunteer to do crash. Maybe we should change to find out what it feels like to be the Lord Sovereign God of all the universe. But there you get the idea. Okay? That's the direction of travel. So if you're making choices in your life that don't reflect God's direction for you as an individual, then actually you're missing out on growing. So people come to me and say, listen Steve, you don't have to be, don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And whenever they say that, I tell them, well, if, if I don't tell them because I have to start a bit further back, but it's obvious to me they don't understand what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody, by definition, who is called into a, a people. Some people say, oh, well, you know, I don't have to turn up all the time, do I? You know, I can still grow as a, a Christian without coming together with God's people. That sounds reasonable, does it? doesn't it? Except when you look in the Bible. And the Bible's answer is, no. You cannot grow, okay? You can't be strong. You cannot grow as a believer unless you are moving to greater degrees of commitment and service of fellow believers in a local church. That's what he's telling them to do. You grow together, verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It only works when everybody's working and moving and shifting together. That's, the sh- that's what maturity looks like. You want to look at somebody who's mature as somebody who built community. As somebody who commits to community. As somebody who's reliably serving and giving themselves for others. They're always asking that question. How can I help, encourage, build that person up? That's what it looks like. But let's flip it over. Let's look at what immaturity looks like. What does it mean to be a spiritual baby? And I think what we do, and I've, I've, I've gone very heavily from another, another preacher who I found very helpful on this. His name's Tim Keller. His material on this was brilliant. I've just tinkered with some of the things he said here. But um, there's, there's three things that come out in this section. You look at verse 14 and you see what immaturity or, or, or being a spiritual baby looks like. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants. What happens to infants? Tossed backwards and forwards by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemes. Okay? So, what happens, what, what does a spiritual baby look like? Somebody who's new, who's just been born, who's got the life of God in them, but they've, got, they've, they've not quite started living the family likeness yet. Well, first thing is, what's the mark of a baby? They think they know, but they don't. Has anybody here had to rescue one of their children, or somebody else's children, from chewing a soiled nappy? It's really horrible. It's not nice. So you see, a little baby, you show them good food, you show them bad food, you show them poison, just give it here and start chewing on it. You see? That's why we have to have our homes that are baby safe. There's a socket, there's a toy, there's an oven, I'll play with them all. And they don't know the difference. And here we've been told that actually each one of us live our lives on the basis of truths. What we do is whenever we see a situation or read a magazine article or listen to a, a conversation, we're always evaluating it because our souls are naturally starving for truth. 
to build our life upon. We look, we're, we're measuring ourselves and we're measuring life and trying to get answers to where will I find life? How can I get through? How can I cope with this? Why do I feel like this? What, what's the way through? And so we look around for ideas and we see anything we can. We grab a hold of it because if I just do that it will make me feel okay or I'll, or I'll connect or I'll be somebody or I'll have a name. And when you become a believer, God comes in and says, I am the truth. I am what you need. I am the answer to all those questions. But what happens is, when you're a young believer, you're still listening to everything, and you can't really tell the difference. And so we have this picture here from this church, of those verse 14, there will be, uh, then we will no longer be infants who are tossed backwards and forwards by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemings. You see, our souls are starving for truth, and if we don't go to the right place, we'll just munch on anything, even if it's a spiritual soiled nappy. And when that happens, we get messed up. We get messed up. See, when you're a new believer, you're not, as, you're not totally sure you can trust God. And when he says make choices like this, 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 and this, you go, no, I don't know, I think I'll make my own mind up about that one. And then you're heading for a road traffic accident. And then you pick yourself up and then next time you go, actually, no, I should have trusted God. And you grow. You move on through that. So there's one mark of immaturity. Another one is, is uh, well, it's selfishness, isn't it? Have you noticed that about her little poppy over there, she has no regard for the fact that you lot are here. In fact, she's quite happy to scream, shout, yell. You see, when you're an infant, your horizon is shrunk to the size of basically a few neurons clicking and snapping in your brain. You vaguely have some sort of inclination that you're supposed to cry. You can't even put words on why you're supposed to do it. But you sort of, well, it's all about you. And everybody else has to go around you, your time, your agendas. You have to, well, you shout really loudly to get exactly what you want. So real babies are incredibly self-centred. They don't care for other people. Because a lot of their questions are all related to themselves. And spiritually, we can be exactly the same. So after that minister I spoke about, he gave a, gives a few questions. He says, are you always thinking about yourself? Always feeling, worried about your feelings getting hurt? Do you, you, do you respond badly to being slighted? Or are you sensitive to people slighting you? If you are, you're probably still spiritually a little bit immature. Are you conscious all the time of how other people are thinking of you? Are you worried that they're looking at you? Am I being treated right? Are you evaluating situations and saying, do you know what, that wasn't fair. It's why the people should have been looking out for me a bit more. Do you tend towards being absorbed with yourself and always thinking about you? And that is a mark of a spiritual baby who hasn't quite yet grown up into the true realities that you met when you first came to faith, which is that God is Lord over all and he wants to work in your life so you live, move from living for self and my little kingdom to God and his kingdom and serving other people, are you always concerned about how you look? How are you when it comes to taking criticism? Is it just, do you close it off straight away or fight back and kick back? Are you able to admit when you're wrong? If those are things that you struggle with, then the likelihood is you've still got a lot of growing to do and Lord wants to work that through with you, but it means you haven't got a place for swagger and the difficulty as I read that was I thought, flip and heck. How's my wife put up with me this long? So you can pray for me as I pray for you. Would that be alright? 
And there's another mark of being immature, and it's that you're just not steady. You know what I mean? You know, some people are just steadfast and reliable. When you're immature, you get, well, tossed backwards and forwards. So little Lucy, uh, little, sorry, little Poppy, I just go, yeah, she like moves across the wherever. You know, she's just tossed backwards and forwards. And as you grow, you learn stability against situations. You begin to get a little bit of experience that means you're more steadfast and firmly set. When you're more mature, you don't have to be coaxed into doing things that are good and healthy for you. You just go and do them. You don't have to have me ringing up and saying, make sure you come to the fellowship group so you can gather around God's work. You just know you have to go and you know you have to do it. You do your duty whether or not it's going well for you. Even if you're finding struggles and difficulties, you're still looking for ways to try and speak into other people's lives because you've got that measure of stability. I was really encouraged uh, over the last few weeks, three people individually, not solicited, are taking time to come to me and say, you know what, Steve, I finally got it. I'm really encouraged because I know that when I I come and gather with God's people and get my equilibrium straight and uh, and realise that God needs to be put at the centre, the rest of my week goes really well. So I'm going to do that, I'm going to try to be there, and I'm going to try and be there for other people, which is great, but of those three, not all of them came today, which I think is quite ironic and tells you what we're up against. Yeah? Do you get the idea? I suppose you're more steady when you're... Can I put it this way? You don't think with your feelings. Have you noticed how so often a youngster will think with their feelings? I feel this, therefore I've got to take action. I feel... There's no sort of... Hold on. Big picture. Equilibrium. Straight. And spiritually we can be the same. And so that is the shape of growth. What will happen is those things will get changed around. As you grow in your faith and as you have people around you who you're connected into who help you grow in your faith, what will happen is you won't start thinking you... You will start thinking you... um, uh, I've got to track that one back, okay. You won't be in the situation where you think you know but don't, but you'll grow in God's word and understand and know him more. And then you'll realise how little you know so you won't be cocky and arrogant and proud about it. Your self-centeredness will move from purely thinking about how does this affect me, it'll start, how is this choice that I'm making affecting other believers or the neighbours around or my showing the kingdom off to, uh, to other people? How is it affecting? I start to get a bigger horizon. And then I become more steady. So actually, what I do is I learn to keep going and hang in there through suffering. I learn to trust God for the things that I don't know because I know that I know God and I know what he's like. And you get that stability there and you start to do verse 16, which is you, uh, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so, as we come to the end of that longest bit, I'm going to kick to the short bit now, which is... Oh, hold on, I've got them written up there. First of all, we need to see the need for growth, the shape of growth, which is growing together in unity, caring and loving other people in the church. And then you've got to see God's gift for growth. I'm going to read something here, and it'll sound a bit weird, and then I'll unpack a little bit of it, and then show us where we're headed and why we did this this week. So, uh, kick back if you were chapter 4, look down at your Bible, and we'll go from verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as appointed, apportioned by, uh, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. 
What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthen regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So that little bit, for as best I understand it, is quoting one of the Psalms. There is Psalm 68. It's basically saying Jesus Christ came down to win a massive victory. He came down to earth, lived the perfect life, died in our place, was resurrected and ascended on high, now rules forever, and to help his people get by, he's given them gifts. He's given each and every one of his people gifts and abilities to be like him and to serve the community of God's people and to reach out to people who don't yet know him. But what's at the centre? That's what's most important, but what's at the centre? Verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Do you get this? He has given people who speak about him, speak his truth, tell you what it means to follow Jesus, tell us how God's love and grace is abounding around us, helps us make sense of life, not listening to the voices out there that are corrupted and wonky, but centered on his words. So apostles and prophets, that's what's written in the Bible. Evangelists, they're people who first tell us the message and call us to respond to Jesus. It comes by the message, it's the words that come. And we respond in faith to birth us into being believers. And then pass the teachers, and what's their job? Well, it's the same as all the others. It's to see and help us to grow. But look at this, and this is the great bit. This is the great bit of we only have to do work one day a week. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastor teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What do the pastors and the teachers, what do our leaders do? What do... Christian leader parents in the home do? Their job is not build an audience to watch them do it. Their job is not to live their life through their kids. Their job, spiritual leadership, the job is to equip others to flourish in being all that God would have them be. So my job isn't to do your ministry. My job is to teach you the gospel teach you about what God is like and how Christ meets us and how he empowers us and he equips us and he humbles us and gives us a love for people. My job is to teach you that so that you will get busy doing that for other people. So that in verse 15 and 16 you will speak the truth in love one to another. That's the way it's supposed to be. Of course, that requires a willingness, doesn't it? You have to be on board with this. You have to be on board with the idea that all of us are supposed to grow up together, serving one another, speaking God's word one to another. But you've got to be on board because you need to give permission to people to speak into your life. Can I ask you that today? Have you authorised people to speak into your life? Because this bit of the Bible tells us that if you haven't, you won't grow. Have you given people permission to come alongside you lovingly? It says, speak the truth in love, lovingly, and to call you out on some of your immaturity. To speak words of love and grace. Have you noticed how it says, speaking the truth in love? So some people speak loads of truth, but there's no love there. And when anybody comes to you and they're speaking the truth at you and they're saying this and this and this and this and this, and it's all true, but there's no love, can I tell you that's a power play on their part? 
And I can guarantee you've probably done that. I do it with my kids sometimes. I tell them the truth about what they're doing, purely because I want them to sit down and shut up, not because I love them. Shame on me. Shame on me. And perhaps you've had people confront you and call you out on stuff. And actually you sense there's no love in it. Can I tell you, if that does happen to you, don't blank it totally, because there's bound to be something in what they're saying. There'll be 5, 10, 15, 20% of what they're saying in a loveless way that will probably be right. Because although they may be immature themselves, just like you and me are, they will they were spotted things. So thankfully, my wife is very gracious to me. When I go off at one of her, and I'm telling her the truth, all right, but there ain't a fat lot of love in it, thankfully she slows down long enough to try to listen to say, actually, maybe there is something somewhere that she can't see in what I'm saying, and she tries to take that. So if you're the receiver, you've got to be willing to say, actually, if somebody speaks to me, I need to listen to that kernel of truth that will shape me. But if you're the one who's speaking, it's your job to speak the truth in love. So some people can speak the truth, but without love. Other people can have love with no truth. And can I tell you, that's not love at all. If you say you love somebody, but you see them heading for disaster, making poor choices, dishonouring the Lord, hurting other people, and you don't go alongside them because you're worried about hurting their feelings, you don't love them. What kind of... In fact, if I did that with my kids as a father, you lot should be on the phone to social services. There are times when I just have to call my kids up because I love them. And if I don't, that's not love. It's not care. It's not a duty of care. So let me ask you that again. Have you given permission to people to speak in the truth in love into your life so that you can grow? Are you willing to speak the truth in love into other people's lives? Will you do it guarded and guided by the fact that you've got leaders who help you learn to speak the truth about what God is like and what his vision for your life is and, and his grace and his mercy and his grand purposes? Have you done that? We do that in our church very simply by calling people to be members. What a member is of our church, and I've already talked about it, is somebody who trusts in the Lord Jesus, is saying, this is the church where I belong and he has put me, and I want to authorise and give permission to the people in my church to pray for me, to encourage me, to love me, and to call me out on stuff so that I can grow. And I trust them. I'm giving them a trust of trust to do that lovingly and gently. And do you know what? Within that, when I become a member, I'm going to do that for them as well. And together we're going to grow up into everything that the Lord Jesus would have us do. So I want to tell you this, and I've already said it once already. You should expect church, being part of the church, when I say church, I mean the people, not the building. You should expect church to be a difficult place. but it should be a place that is going somewhere. Because God has a purpose that we would all have the fullness of him. Have you any idea the value of that? Oh, we set our minds and we're so satisfied on empty things. Christ wants you to be all that you could be in him with his people. He really wants that for you. And there'll be times when you'll kick and scream against it. And you'll send somebody nasty and horrible to call you out on it like me. And you'll hate them for it. But it's because God loves you and wants you to grow. He wants you to be useful in his service. He wants you to thrive. He doesn't want failure to thrive. He is prepared to come and pay whatever the cost to reshape the destiny of your life. And if ever you doubt that, look at what he did on the cross. When he said, you are spiritually dead, I will come and do for you what you cannot do. I will call you to myself. I will speak words of grace. I will pay the debt you cannot pay. I love you. 
and I will stick with you before you and speak truth and love into your life so you can grow. So as we close, I ask you two questions at the start. How does all this help us think about what and who we want to follow in our new pastor if we get one? What does this tell us about how we should follow and respond to having a new leader amongst us? Can I give you 20 seconds just to think about that? What does all this tell us about 